peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast. What's going on, guys? I just want to open up some admin points real quick. This has no association with the DOD and everything that we are going to be talking about is an open source and will be on first name basis. So today we have on the show is a special forces officer. He's going to go by Derek because that's his name. Um, I had a I got to meet Derek at the nonprofit symposium last year, last year, last year, around the same around towards the back end of the year. And it's been really cool to kind of, you know, connect with individuals who are now starting to open up and talk about, you know, our experiences from the military and, uh, major Tom, I forgot his last name, but he goes on Instagram by kill zone. And he's, he's a, I believe he's at the West point or at the Naval Academy teaching English. And he really, he shared something on Instagram just recently talking about, you know, there's these, um, like these waves of years that come around when people start to kind of talk about our experiences from like our deployments and how we're working through it. And if you go look at history books, you see like, Hey, World War II books weren't started to be written until 10 to 20 years after the, or, or, you know, when people get into those twenties and thirties after they've been doing something for some time now. And it's the same thing for you. You've been doing this job for quite a while. Yeah. Enlisted in 04 commissioned in 07 kind of deal. So yeah, a little bit of time. And yeah. And it's crazy is cause we were in the same time period. I mean, obviously you're still in to this day. I was, I got in around 07 as well. And a lot of the, the similarities in terms of places you worked and I worked, we had it. And then, you know, as deployments started to change and as we started sh- like shifting fires to other areas, you started deploying in those aspects as well. And, you know, you did a podcast with nonprofit just recently and we just pre-show, we just kind of talked a lot about that. And one thing I really loved the fact was you really kind of opened up a little bit more in there for that, you know, because again, I look at settings and environments and that's yeah. one of those places and something for us and something that, you know, I really love about the softly human performance team in these podcasts is that we're also looking at trying to blend in as well is what are we doing here so we can go ahead and help younger guys you know, work through whatever it is they have to work through. And, and I get it right now. We don't have very much war going on. Mm-hmm. Right. But we do still have a uh, quite a bit of a mental health crisis when it comes to suicide and people bottling things up. And, you know, with the position that you're in right now, you're coming from the top down. And that's been something that we've been really trying to do, which is why we've actually had more um, military individuals on the show, because we want to go ahead and and create that bridge across the the two worlds. Yeah, totally. And, you know, to kind of piggyback on the deal, like, you know, we got in about the same time, like, you know, that first dude that you knew that like got blown up, you know, or is that sister truck and, you know, maybe there was fatalities, maybe there wasn't, but either way, like if the dude was good, like two or three days later, you, he was back in the truck and we had no idea like what the TBI stuff, what the, the PTSD, like there was none of that kind of going around when I was a young soldier, young officer, right? Like we, and maybe it was cause it was early on in GWAT, right? And like, you know, we had, you know, surged in Afghanistan, did our business there, surging into Iraq. And, you know, that was a new experience, you know, went from, you know, the cannibal run straight up the middle. And then we're doing this counterinsurgency thing in Baghdad, which is where I entered into, you know, the conflict. And it was interesting because they never talked about any of that. Right. And like my old man, you know, did what I'm doing. You know, I definitely followed in his footsteps and, you know, he and I are, you know, thick as thieves, but like, it was never that conversation. Right. You know, and he'd been to Afghanistan, he'd been to Iraq. So it wasn't like he hadn't seen anything, but it was never that thing like, Hey, you're going to have some heavy days. Like it's okay. <laughs> right. Like you don't have to, you know, do any of those things. So I, I, it is interesting. Like the, the time frames. and it's like, is it because like, you know, those people that were started off on the ground, right. That's why like they live their whole military career through just being on the ground. Then there's some time for reflection. Maybe it's because the wars are slowing down. So now everyone can kind of like close that chapter and start talking about stuff. But you know, my biggest motivation behind doing the nonprofit podcast really was to get that message out. Like it's okay not to be okay. You know, and, and you bring up like these young soldiers. Yeah, there may not be a lot of war, but there's still trauma, yep. you know, like so and we'll get into it, I'm sure. But like I went through some EMDR. So, you know, I read the the body keep score, you know, uh, was it Vander Kolk, you know, Dr. Vander Kolk, yep. you know, was the one that put it together, you know, because I was very interested in like getting through what I was going through, but I didn't want to go with the medication route. I didn't want to just get out of the army. I wanted to just get through my shit. And that's kind of what happened. So 
where I came with that is like, there's no romanticized trauma and issue with like, so maybe this soldier, like maybe they haven't seen any combat, but they watch their best friend get killed right in front of them in a ski accident or vehicular accident or whatever it's right. And now like, and so like, I'm pretty fortunate now I teach, you know, other special forces soldiers or you like, you know, up and coming officers. It's like, you need to be at a baseline because if you're dealing with that trauma, then you have the trauma of war of maybe a bad training event, a workup. If you're up here now, you're not functioning at your optimal level. So that's kind of where I pitch it. Like, yeah, get your baseline down because what you're doing, what I saw, like we could romanticize about like our combat experience, you know, like that <laughs> stuff. But at the end of the day, trauma is trauma. It doesn't yep. matter. You know, the body keeps score. Unfortunately, looked at like, you know, sexually assaulted young women usually and Vietnam vets. A hundred percent. And there was no, when they did the studies, they were like, oh, well, because this guy's was in combat, it was so much worse or so much. No, it was the exact same, same treatment. Thing. And then yeah. like, oh, look, I say vehicular accidents because I remember that from the book. Like, yeah, this young person went through a vehicle accident and then couldn't drive for 10 years, did EMDR. And now they can get back in the vehicle, you know, so. There's could you things. could you break down what EMDR is actually mm-hmm. because I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't under, don't know what it is and also to the resources in which you can actually get help from EMDR. Yeah, totally. Um, so EMDR it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and so we'll go like how I understand it because of course there's like you know these beta waves and where things are stored in like the limbic system the prenatal cord all those things right. Where I understand it is you know the the way we process stuff we need to encode it we need to store it and then we need to bring it back up right. Okay. And what I didn't realize until this book is REM sleep is huge in that, right? Yep. So we experience yes. something, then we got to go through REM. Um, long story short, the woman that came up with the MDR had been told she you know, received like a terminal illness, basically, right? And she obviously was having a rough day with that. A couple of days later, she's walking down a sidewalk. She's thinking about that time. Then her, she's, for whatever reason, there's stuff on either side of the sidewalk and her eyes start going back and forth at different rates. And again, because she's done meditation, because she's extremely aware of what she's doing. Now she's feeling the same feelings, the same pressures, the same tingly as she did in the office. And she's like, wait, something's here. To where even just that eye movement that we go through in REM sleep can be reproduced. Interesting. So the interesting thing there is, so now, you know, and with my MDR, and again, we're going super basic. There's amazing podcasts if you want to get into it, if you're thinking about it and you want more kind of around it. But how it worked for me is, so basically like I sat down with my therapist and we could get into where it came yeah. from and why we did this, but maybe we'll put the horse before the court on this one. <laughs> so we inventoried like the one event that was absolutely triggering my, we'll call it PTSD because that's what it is. I know there's other people that like different phrases, so, you know, go with it, right? Whatever you want to label it. Um, we'll just say like the thing that was messing me up. And I didn't realize there was a bunch of other, you know, five deployments downrange. Like there was a bunch of stuff that, yeah, even in the time I didn't realize it was affecting me. The body does keep scoring. It was yep. staying with me. So then like we talk about the event, we inventory, we kind of like figure out how much I'm now, best way to describe it, am I living that video or am I looking at that event as like a Polaroid on the wall, right? So basically what she was telling me is let's try to get these living memories of yours to where they're a photograph on the wall that you don't, you can look at it. Like she doesn't want me to forget the fact that I got blown up. She doesn't want to forget the fact I lost friends, you know, partners, all that stuff, like seeing, you know, a bunch of dead kids, like all that stuff, like, yeah. It's not, we can never get you to forget that. But when you look at that picture, we don't want it to make it feel as though you're living there, right? Because then it affects your cortisol, everything else. So went ahead and did all of that stuff. Through the EMDR, you're basically doing eye movement from side to side at different rates. You can also use little paddles in your hand. And the best way to describe it, so I got blown up two years ago, um, you know, roadside bomb by ISIS. I doubt I'm the only one you've ever talked to that's happened to, right? It's <laughs> nothing usual, but it did affect me more than, you know, I made it through Iraq and Afghanistan and managed to go to Africa of all places and get blown up. So it happens. But where it came from is when we did the first session where I really felt like I like EMDR was, you know, voodoo magic and a thing that actually worked was we bring up the event. I start looking my eyes left and right. She's giving me these, you know, cue words and I have these little paddles in my hand. And as I'm sitting there in her chair in her office, it feels like I'm back in my Mat V, my um, mine resistant all ambush protection, all train vehicle, right? That we were rolling in. Thank goodness it was that, not anything else, or I wouldn't be here. Um, but I'm sitting back in that vehicle, the spot on my neck that I hit the chair on the way up, right? The tingliness in my feet, the pressure, the heat, you know, feeling of ragdoll. Like I'm in her office seven, eight months after the fact. And I feel exactly there, right? And then like we slow the eyes down and she's basically re-encoding. So instead of it being stuck in like the limbic system, right, and having all that emotion tied to it, kind of going up to the prefrontal cortex, now we're dropping it back down to the brainstem, telling the brain to process it and then store it and put it away. So that's where EMDR for me, because again, 
I didn't want to do drugs, unfortunately, like, and I know there's people out there that need to, and I'm not saying don't do that. But for me, I wasn't ready to take that route, take that route. I'd seen some friends that like, they were given like the pills right away before any other work was done. It just didn't work well for them. So I was like, if it gets to that point, great. And she's like, oh, well, I have this EMDR thing that's totally non-invasive or anything. Long story short, six months, we worked through all those, you know, past experiences through that blast. And where this all spun was like, my wife basically was ready to leave me, right? Like, yep. because of everything was going, it wasn't like I was like, I shouldn't say, I wasn't physically like hitting or anything like that. It hadn't been good to reach that point. I don't necessarily think I was verbally abusing her, but she just said I was like getting upset of other things, right? So I'm getting my skis ready to go backcountry skiing early in the morning before work, right? And she's like, hey, like, can you, I got a meeting. Can you take the kid? I was like, I need to go do this, right? And I'm getting pissed and upset. I was like, can't you just support me? You know, I need this, you know? Like just weird things, go to trip to New Zealand. And if my kid didn't get his nap on time or if she wanted to drive to the next place or whatever, and I felt like my son needed something, like she said, I was just super aggressive. Like, no, we're gonna take care of him. She's like, you were being super overprotective. And then obviously like the sleeping, like every once in a while, like guys like you and me, like we're trained to like get up to fire guard, pull that RNS shit, whatever the case may be, right? So I'd wake up, something would happen, I'd go back to sleep. Well, I never like kept count of that because it's like, yeah, that's just life. But my wife had, and when she told the therapist, like how often I was waking up, she's like, well, yeah, like, can't she, you know, the therapist is like, can't you see like all these things that are, these systems that are supposed to be working are not optimal for you. And this is what it's causing you, right? High cortisol levels, you're hypervigilant, you're not sleeping, you know, of the nine, you know, classified and you're the doc here. So, you know, whatever those <laughs> PTSD traits, right? I had like three of them that were like off the hook, right? And so that's where we slowly worked through it. I didn't realize that I had risen to being such, you know, you said, we said it pre, you know, like I didn't realize I was being such an asshole yeah. <laughs> until I was. And then the funny thing is over the six months, it wasn't like one day I felt good. So it was a very interesting process of me kind of getting, we'll say out of control yep. to a place where like, again, I didn't realize, I thought I was just Derek. I thought I was yep. fine. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, like going skiing more than I usually do, you know, maybe taking more risks, you know, cause like my backcountry ski buddies are like, no, we're not skiing that today. You're needed. So I'm like, okay, well I'll just go by myself tomorrow. So they don't, tell me not to go and then on the way down my wife's like oh you're back and I was like what do you mean <laughs> and she, now she's telling me like tearfully and these other things I'm so grateful like she was able to control like convey that information to, across the board I mean not every individual who goes and asks for help gets this kind of help and that's the crazy part about this and you know again that's it just goes to the point like what the special operations world has to offer yeah right if we ask for it if we go ahead and dig around and being like look i've seen these things mm-hmm. i've done these things and it just doesn't work for us it's an interesting point when it comes down to when she was able to go ahead and take a look at your whole behavior patterns from when you got back to that point, moment where your your wife literally said hey man you're being an asshole and not putting your kid first putting yourself first to go ski a line that potentially could kill you it's it's the idea of chasing the dragon. I've talked about this plenty of times because totally, it's, yeah. it's the same thing that I do a lot of the times, and I don't do it anymore. And it's actually I had that thought in my process, thought in my head while you were saying that. I was like, holy cow! It's like I remember getting into endurance because I was trying to chase an addiction, and like I've, I've written about it, I've talked about it, and it's the same thing here. Your your addiction was skiing. Your addiction was chasing those big lines and putting yourself in positions where you know we said pre-show it spiked that cortisol level in your system. It helped reset it. And then when you came off the mountain, you were like, all right, I'm good now for everything. Because yeah. yeah, where I'm at today, and so I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm, again, I'm a, I call myself a recovering asshole. Mm-hmm. I'm not the, I'm not 100%, but I also am no longer attaching to specific um, object, objects that will like pull that cortisone level up, right? It's like I've now taken to this idea I call the sniper mentality, mm-hmm. where it's like I only have a certain amount of rounds that I can use to go ahead and send it when I need to. Everything else allows for me to build up to that. Yeah. And I think that's the same idea here where it's we're trying to create this change in thought process being like, hey, if you are, like you said, you are having a hard time, like you, you need to go talk to somebody. It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. And you're right. There are 100%, 100% other methods to do things without taking the pills. And, and, and I think this is a, a prime example of that was a choice you made. No one else forced you to do it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like you said, like the soft community. So this and maybe you experienced this as well, like regardless of being soft, like my redeployment from that, like I was still at Bragg, center of the universe for us, you know, like all that place. And I still post deployment, I'm talking to, you know, shrink, psychologist, whatever it is they were behind. I mean, this is where nonprofit and you kind of helped me with this is like, this is now somebody and you've read, you've, have you thought about harming any yourself or others in the last like 48 hours? 
Well, yeah, I just redeployed. I thought about killing somebody like last week because he was on the top of our you know, list. Like, yeah, of course. Of course I wanted to do bodily harm to somebody because that they were the enemy, right? So now, so now you go in with that motion like, okay, they don't even understand where I was or what I was doing. Now they're like, are you okay? Okay, guy. Usually overweight, usually older, doesn't talk like us, doesn't move like us, right? So that was the only, or you'd even get the briefs on your way out like, hey, if you need mental health, like, you know, it's the FRG lady, which, you know, bless her heart, she's doing the good fight. But it does take you and I and everybody else top down, bottom up, everything to go there. So I did go like, I didn't tell my chain of command about it at first. So then I did get through it and like, okay, like my company commander from, you know, Africa that I deployed with, I went into his office and I was like, hey, sir, this is what I just went through the last six months. You know, here it was just kind of expecting like, okay, we need paperwork, we need this, you know, we need to do an eval on you. Like, I'm just thinking about like, man, I'm going to lose my job and lose my clearance, everything. And he's like, cool, man, how are you, are you okay? Like, and we dove into it, right? I was like, oh, that was interesting. And so then it's like, okay, like, because of it was so, you know, profound and the things that were going on is I was like, well, you know, go up to the next level of command, right? So then that was, you know, the battalion commander. And then I actually know my group commander pretty well because there's like a backcountry ski. All my backcountry ski buddies are from group, which is cool, right? Because then we all, I don't say like we're exactly the same how we view risk, but the nice thing is we all have a, like, because You have a checklist of mitigating risk together as a whole. And then we also know like, you know, there's been, I don't know if you kept track of the avalanches in Utah, but like we like vignetted all of them, like looked at everything and some of the, and I'm trying not to stomp on graves, but you know, if you're in the Utah community and you've seen these avalanches, I'm not trying to say we're better or anything, but we would look at those, right? And the first one was like, okay, they made a bad decision. They skied here, they skied here. Like it's unfortunate they all died, but it's just, that's life, right? Sometimes it tactical objective, hundred percent. Right? Like, yeah. Sometimes you, you zig when you should have zagged or you should have prepped the objective and you didn't, you know, like it happens, right? So we kind of took that mentality that the week after like four people died in Utah skiing, the next Monday we were on the mountain because like the decisions we had made, we knew that we were on safe slopes and where they were, were not on safe slopes. Whereas I talked to other people in the community, that was our first time dealing with death. Maybe they had never done that self-reflection, like could it have been me, but we're all a bunch of dudes from group. Unfortunately, we have had losses. We've had rough days. So we, you know, AAR'd it, hot washed it, did everything we could, you know, and that was really cool. Like, so needless to say, where I'm going with this is like my group commander has been with me like on a personal level. Correct. Yeah. You know, with this 19, you know, this, this ski club kind of thing that we have going. And so we're out in the mountains. So then finally, I, I want to tell him like, hey, this thing the nonprofit's doing, we need to get this a group. Like we do, you know, and I talked about this with uh, Mark Twite when we were on the nonprofit is like, we are great in the soft community about having thick skin. You know, like my first assault at the CRIF, like the lowest ranking dude called me out in the AR in front of everybody because I was making way too long of radio calls and, you know, I needed to make it more thing. But like, that's how we roll, right? So we're really good about hot washes. We're really good about thick skin. But when after an objective that was heavy per se, you know, like maybe you were responding to that village where ISIS went in and did work, you know, to civilians and not you, or maybe your buddy went down. When do we ever do that hot wash as a team? Because we don't. No, 100%. So after like my last one, again, like the blast that kind of happened to me, like we did talk about what happened, you know, once kind of like all of us were, you know, in a better place, but we never sat around like, are you guys okay? Hey, the, the one question dude, was never, hey, are you okay? Yeah. There was never that question. It was asked. physical, right? Like, oh, your body okay? And it was like, okay, we got to get like, you, yeah, you got a TBI. So we're going to screen time you, TBI protocol, that stuff. Like we did that really well. But not once did we ever get the whole team together and be like, hey, you know what? Are you guys okay? And maybe there's teams that are out there doing it and I've just not been privy. I've had three SF teams, you yep. know, and I've had honestly the best. Of course, everybody says this, but legitimately like the best mountain team, best team on the crib, best team, you know, that I could possibly go with downrange. But not once did we ever consider, hey, are you okay? The mental health side of it, right? Uh, well, that's the point, right? Because yeah. I've said it before in the past too, and, and it's something that I like to use, is like everyone's so worried about the weapon malfunction drills, right? But And, and we do those over and over and over, and they can be done with the, with our eyes closed. We can be done when we're in a firefight. In, but we don't ever talk about the psychological malfunction drills. Yeah. And what does that look like? Well, it's a question that you just said right now. It's like, hey, where we get in together and it's like, hey, are you okay? And not from a physicality standpoint, but from a psychological perspective and an emotional state. Because you said it great too. You're like, you know, she helped me, you know, learn how to dictate between being attached to the object or of that memory. And then it 
she allowed me to detach from it and hang it up on the wall, as we see here with a thumbtack and a photo on the wall. Mm -hmm. So where now it's like, I'm not attached to it, but I can remember it and understand like that's part of my script. That's part of my photo book of my life, however else, but it doesn't have to be so attached to me that mm -hmm. tortures me. And there was a, a philosopher named Ken uh, Wilbur, and he talks about the idea of a 3D model of looking at yourself from your I am notion from the ego aspect and, the, and then the object. And what we can do now is we go ahead and if we can detach the ego from the object and actually attach to the I am, right, we then have the capability to not be stuck to these experiences that we've had. So it's learning how to reconnect ourselves to our humanity in an overarching theme. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool that when we go back to the idea of the, of uh, the NDMR and, and understanding how, how you're able to go ahead and develop these skills to go ahead from and transition from both different things, it only opens a door to kind of saying, well, well, honestly, what we just did for you is we just created a feeling of awareness mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And honest, and ultimately, isn't that consciousness? Everyone thinks consciousness is a thinking awareness when a monkey can think. Yeah, that's, it was truly amazing. A couple like aha moments with this therapist. Um, one, and we talked pretty sure about it. I think it's worth it because just to know that if you talk to a therapist and they just don't feel like they get you, find somebody that does, right? And be okay with that. Yeah, and be okay with that. Be objective when you go in. Like maybe if it's like, you know, I don't know. My wife has, you know, hairdressers like that she jives with and they do well and like that's who she wants to go with, right? The little trivial you could say, but at the same time, like if you go in and you talk to your therapist and they don't feel like they understand you, that's fine. So that was like point number one, like, okay, she's like an inviting, warm person. That was cool. So of course on the you know front of this you know counseling place like no weapons you know this is a gun free zone whatever those stupid things are right luckily in the state of Utah there's only like three places I can't carry a gun so I knew it was you know they could kick me out but they couldn't arrest me so needless to say took my gun in there and I'm just kind of like him today like gym clothes and you know I had my my small compact gun not my big I used to carry Glock 45 because you know I'm in uniform and it's easy to conceal and I like bullets so we go in there and her first kind of question is she's kind of like shifting from my wife to me is like, well, where's your gun? You know, cause she couldn't ident immediately identify where it was at. Cause it was a smaller compact. And of course I'm playing it cool. Like, what are you talking about? Like, cause I saw the sign. I knew what I was doing was against that company's, you know, policies. And she's like, yeah, where's your gun? And I was like, you know, again, I'm like, I, she's like, okay, I know you have a gun, like, or at least you carry a gun. And I was like, okay, it's on my hip. You know, she's like, is it, you know, lock load ready to go? I was like, yeah, that's good. She's like, okay, I just want you to know that, she works with a lot of military and law enforcement. To me, that's an indicator. Because if you're no longer carrying your gun, then I need to ask some questions. Like, is it because you don't feel like you can protect yourself? Do you not trust yourself, right? Maybe some suicidal... Well, that's the reason why I don't... Right? Like, yeah. Yeah, so like those type of things. So like she went down this rabbit hole. Whether this was trained to her, or again, she's just a wonderful, you know, old woman, you know? I shouldn't say old. It's not like ancient, but you know, she's older than I am. Um, that was her way of showing me like, I get your species, I get you. So she built that rapport. Right. Then two, three days later, when she says you have PTSD, I'm like, we've already connected. And I was like, damn it. I've got PTSD. Right. Yeah. Like, now we can actually start going somewhere. But she did the same thing that we were doing, a, you know, in foreign country on the SF side. Like, yeah, I'm going to establish, you know, credibility. I'm going to build rapport and then we'll provide overall value. She nailed that in a row right on. So then when we started talking about stuff and started going into stuff because she talked to so many, you know, and it wasn't, you know, I think some of the EMDR, cause I listened to some podcasts, you know, it's like, I can't remember the exact phrases they use as they're kind of inventorying these events, but they're like, what's like the self-defeating, you know, ideation that you have from this event? Well, she knows a guy like us that I didn't get defeated. Like I would never, she's like, she's like, okay, so what's the thing that you would have changed if you could? Like she just knew how to Word phrase it. things to yeah. work. Cause you know, it's like, you know, I had a physical therapist when I was in Germany with my unit there and he never said anything along the lines of what are, what hurts you? Because he knows like, well, nothing hurts me. Nothing hurts, yeah. Green beret, right. He says, What's preventing you from do everything you want to do? What's what's the thing that is not allowing you to be 100% physically, right? Because that's the same vein. Like this physical therapist knew you can't ask a dude like George, like, hey, what's hurt on you? Well, I'm fine. Well, okay, why can't you swim 10K, you know, on the ocean freely? Like, oh, well, now that you mentioned it, my hips kind of, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's there. So she definitely helped out there. Um, and we had that thing going, right? Like it was something to where... If I wouldn't have been with her, would I have had the same end result? I don't know, right? Yeah. So I'd say shop around, maybe sound a little couple well, of bullets in, but like find that person you can connect with right off the bat because she and I, it was instant, you know? So I want to kind of shift a little bit of fire here because of the fact that taking that whole scenario that just happened to you and it just happened a few years ago, 
it, it points out a lot of things, right? One, you weren't sleeping consistently. You had sleep disturbances. You probably weren't eating as well as you should have been eating. You're, and, and who knows, right? Like, and the only reason why I say that is just because, again, I look at nutrition as a point of we look at nutri- at the at the highest nutrient possible how we feed ourselves. Most of that time when we're in such a bad headspace, we probably aren't getting enough nutrients in the system, so we're coming from a deficit. Yeah. Well, I think I was nutrient deprived because, and again, the specialist therapist brought this up with my wife. Like, how many times is he working out a day? And, and exactly. I'm usually a two day, a two times a week kind of guy, or pardon me, two a day kind of guy. But usually it's kind of like, you know, you have your mobility, you know, you have your stuff. Like I've been in the game long enough to know I don't just need to crush weights every day. Yep. But, you know, when she talked to my wife, like, well, yeah, he's like obsessively working out. And if he misses, you know, like maybe 10 years ago, if I missed a second workout, I'd be like, oh, I got to do it at 2100. Like I got to get going. But now I'm to the point where like I can miss a workout or two. Yep. So my wife had even noticed like, no, he's obsessive about it. Yeah. And he's, he's got to hit, you know, and he's got to check his Strava right off the bat and see how close he was to his last time to do this stuff. So she could tell. So I think I was calorie deprived because like, you know, food is fuel, but the same thing you were doing by chasing the dragon, right? It was, it was mountain biking. It was long runs. It was, you know, getting that fastest time ever, you know, on straw or whatever, right? Like that's what I, that was the dragon or the, you know, I call it exuberant risk in the mountains just because I had to completely get it floored high, you know, or had to get it super high to get it floored. So. Well, so like, so going back to that idea, right? So sleep is shitty. Mm -hmm. Nutrition is again, your nutrient deficient from there. Now we go and look at heart health. Heart health is through the roof, but now we're actually seeing parasympathetic dominance because, or even sympathetic dominance, depending on what is that. We didn't obviously see that, but you do have a strong heart. And that's actually the only thing that's really supporting all of this Mm -hmm. at the moment because of the heart efforts you do in that thing. And then when we go and look at like the CNS aspect of it in the autonomic nervous system and how we break that all up, we start seeing, okay, what is the autonomic nervous system doing now from such trauma and when we go to look at like tbi when we talk about ptsd we already know and again i've talked about this in the past too is you know when we see a tbi incident happen a lot of people forget like what is the mechanism in which is dysfunctional in that manner well we know that we need to get oxygen to the brain to go ahead and think clearly and to have that clarity what happens when you have guys that have tbis they start working out you start seeing other problems happen you start seeing neurological breakdowns happen and that's where it's like okay cool there's something here when we look at dysfunction of mitochondria and a decrease in energy production from atp purposes so it's like okay cool we need to go ahead then and focus on one like we talked about the body no score getting back into that rem sleep right from there then like all right let's go ahead and start giving you the nutrients you need so you're not deficient and it actually supports your workload who gives a fuck if you're training twice twice a day multiple times times a week. I know plenty of people do it. I still do it to this day. It's just a healthier relationship and it's eating now. But in those moments, it's not a healthy relationship. Yeah. So we go and look at from then, then we go and look at your psychological and your emotional state. And and what does that look like? And that's a piece that a lot of people forget, Mm. right? It's because if you notice on any of this stuff that I'm talking about, when I think when I'm pointing at my, my drawing that I have there from our meeting today, um, we look at it from a structure and the pillars is what's holding up the professional performance. And the foundation is the human needs. And what we can do from there is we can now develop depth and range and then we can also create birth or breath of 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 what we need with that um with that pillar so when we go from there now it's like occupational stress what is your occupational stress now like you might now not be working the way you were but you now are in more of a cognitive deficit because you don't have the ability to be so on to do your thing. What does that look like? The stress is high now because you're stressing about doing your job and it kind of brings it all together. And that's where it kind of looks into. It's just like, look, the reason why I really focus on this idea of the conscious warrior system and the framework, and you said it perfectly, the warrior system, we then act ultimately come out of this idea where we're developing this consciousness of like, I need to get better sleep. Why? Because if I do get better sleep, I get this REM sleep that actually helps heal my fucking brain. Yeah. That's the truth. People don't realize that it's like, Hey, the brain is going to be your sleep will heal you. You just have to learn how to get that quality of sleep and make it a, a, <laughs> a priority. A priority yeah. yeah. And the same thing with nutrition, right? And that's something that, you know, one thing I got to learn last year through, you know, with Michael and, and Mark and, and Aaron and all this stuff when we, and, and Keegan as well, when it came to all of this was the idea of like, Hey, we got to look at not just like, I was already doing the sleep thing. Yeah. I was already taking care of that. It fixed my sleep. I've been talking about that for years, but it was like looking at nutrition and going into endurance. You're always looking for new ways to fuel yourself. And as I started getting really deep into the, into the world of like the scientific side of things, and you probably look on your side, I have the new NSA book from them. Um, the idea was like, well, endurance is a metabolic sport. 
Meaning that, hey, I need to feel myself as such. I'm no longer a strength athlete where it comes to be more neurological, where I can get away with eating fuck ton amounts of carbohydrates and a little bit of fats and proteins. No, I now have to fuel myself with high amounts of fat, massive amounts of carbohydrates if I want to go ahead and, and, and support that load. Plus, the protein needs to be a little bit higher now because I'm now breaking down. And from, from a psychological and a physiological perspective, I break down not just from the brains, but the, from the body. Totally. So we were like, you're like, all right, cool. We need to start eating more fat and doing those things. And like that really showed what that did for me was only increase heart health. Because when I take away heart health from like being a strong, robust muscle that just pumps as much oxygen into your system as possible. When we talk about heart health on the most medical field, like on that level, it comes down to how how much nutrients are you putting into your heart to go ahead and support your activity. So that kind of comes into play. And as we start kind of building that, what happens to the CNS? Yeah, It starts to improve. We start to manage. We start coming out of the sympathetic state to be a little bit more parasympathetic, which now we focus on rest and recovery. Oh, wow. Now we can go in a little bit and start talking about some of the psychological, emotional stats of everything else from there. And then now your occupational stress actually starts to lower because you now have the energy to do your job. Mm -hmm. And if you notice in any of those pillars, I'm not talking about physical training in there at all because at the end of the day, that's to the side right now. And the idea is the human first. And that's really why we push this idea of the foundation. It's the human needs, right? We can utilize the the Maslow hierarchy of needs. But ultimately, you want to do your job. And the way the PT asked that question was, what what is inhibiting you from being capable of doing your job right now, Mm -hmm. right? And it's that, and again, it's learning how to ask the right questions to the right demographic so that you can get those answers. And that's something that, you know, I've been taught a lot of lately is to have that conversation. Well, conversations create change. We know that, Mm -hmm. but the right wording is what creates the change. Yeah, totally. Well, and you know, and you talked about it, like we kind of, you know, at this point, like, you know, I've, I've got a few soldiers that work for me, so it's kind of top down. I'm trying to tell them like, Hey, it's okay not to be okay. You know? And so now I'm also trying to, as I walk through this, like kind of break your system down. Like, how do I convince a dude to do go get help, right? To do that. So then we break this down, like noticing your pillars that, you know, how you've outlined it. Well, if this one's not right, the whole thing's kind of going to fall. So what I'm trying to tap into, you know, per se, like your greatest fear, my greatest fear, I could, we could probably say between the two of us, regardless of different units, different things is I never want to fail my left and my right. Correct. So now I tell him, Hey, the reason why you're going to go get help is because if you're drinking a fifth to go to sleep every night, then you're not good here, then you're not good here. And eventually you're going to fail your team, right? And so then how do you motivate a guy? You know, like, yeah, your workouts are going to be better because now we can get one of your pillars straight. If Correct. You just go get help, right? Yep. And then, so maybe that works, maybe it does. So then another way I kind of reinforce is I have kind of like two stories, we'll say, two vignettes of kind of like why you should open your mouth and like if you've been through stuff like this, talk about it. Again, I got this from nonprofit for meeting you. I remember you and I had some like, you know, three days. We had probably four or five conversations <laughs> yeah. off to the side. You know, so I felt really invigorated to like, yeah, it's okay not to be okay. Go get help if you need it. So then I'm talking from, to a buddy, you know, similar deployment, you know, going down range, doing stuff, gets blown up with his teammates, right? He's going to get help, right? He comes home and he's a wreck. His wife's like, hey, man, you're, you're not good. Like he recognizes he's not good all by himself. Doesn't talk about it, doesn't do anything, right? So then he and I, you know, we meet up at dinner like this is probably two or three months after my last EMDR, maybe about a month or so after nonprofit. And so... You know, we're eating and, you know, he's eating a steak and we're chatting. And I'm like, hey, man, I just got to let you know. Last six months, like, I had to go through therapy. I was really messed up for my trip. You know, like, I know you know I got blown up. Like, let me tell you about it. And I kind of told him, like, the flashbacks. I was an asshole when I came home. And I was like, but now, like, I think I'm good, bro. And he kind of just stops kind of like mid-sentence and, like, mid-bite, whatever it was. You know, and I just saw him, like, and I want to say, like, he kind of choked up. And you could see he's like, dude, I thought I was the only one. He had been living his own personal hell because he thought he was the only Green Beret in the history of the world. As everyone thinks that. As, yeah, exactly, right? And because, like, you guys broke me out of my shell, I was like, yeah, I don't give it. Like, at this point, like... Seeing a dude know, up like, there full tattooed talking about... Yeah, but again, it's a dude that looks like me, that talks like me, that walks like me. Okay, like, for me, I, I didn't need to come out of that shell. I didn't need someone to say, oh, I've been going through oh, me too because I'd been around the symposium for that weekend. So that was huge, right? And so he and I, like, the rest of dinner was just, like, we talked about his treatment, how similar they were, mine, and everything. Like, and again, we're talking, like, completely different people, right? So that was cool where I was like, hey, I just helped relieve some of that burn to now, like, now he can go and, you know, he's still getting some treatment. Like, he can now go and say, hey, I found out I'm not the only one. He can almost have, like, you know, maybe a, a little confidence that he's okay. He's still a great Green Beret, not to say that I'm the standard, but others have gone through it, right? 
So that was like, wow, that's really cool. So of course, you know, go to a FU, you know, Friday kind of an FYF up at nonprofit. And I tell Michael, I was like, hey man, thanks for telling me to open my mouth. We chat a little about it, right? So then like a couple months go down the road at this point, I probably shared my story countless times really at that time. Yeah. Like whenever it comes up and whenever it's appropriate, I've told people hundred percent unit, right? So then like out of the blue, I get a soldier call me up and say, hey, can I meet you at the gym? You know, and I'm thinking like, you know, I did well in the new ACFT thing. Like people are trying to figure it out, right? And like, I think they want to show up and kind of talk about those things, right? Because like, yeah, max this event, max that event. This is what I went going into it, blah, blah, blah. So then we're sitting and this is at like a Vasa gym, right? So they've got like the little green AstroTurf for those, you know, they're listening from Utah. Basically like it's got some weightlifting stuff. It's got some functional fitness. It's like, a, it really is a jack of all trade master of none gym. But anyway, that's where, you know, we could meet up, you know, because um, we're in Utah, so there's not really good military gyms. It's true. Full disclosure. So, you know, we're at this person. Anyway, where I'm going with this is so like I go in thinking it's like that. So we're talking about training everything else. Like, so, hey, what else is going on? And then I kind of start to look at him. And, and for whatever reason, because I was in instructor mode, I wasn't like looking at everything else. I was looking at like muscle tone. You were looking yeah. at the professional. Yeah. You weren't looking at the human. Yeah. So then I'm like, hey, what else? And then you kind of start to see that body language change. I start to do that. Then they'd be like, hey, I almost killed myself last night. And I'm just like, oh. <sighs> And I was like, okay, I'm an asshole. Like I should have like been like, I should have opened up with, Hey, what's going on? Instead of like, Hey, yeah, let's talk about training. Like, cause again, meet at the gym, thought it was physical, but that's a safe place, right? Like that's a, where someone feels good, where we've yeah. trained before. So then like we go into this and it's like, the only reason I think, you know, he came and talked to me was because I opened my mouth that things are not okay. And then the other thing is because I'd been through therapy, cause I was open about it. Cause I'm better. I could also be like, Hey, I know you're going through some shit. You're dealing with some old trauma. Like, you know, all the things that you would expect, of course you want to kill yourself. However, your brain doesn't necessarily want to kill itself. That's not a normal thing. You need to get help. So went and got help a couple of months later, like they're back in training, like top dog, right? Like, and that's something to where like, we had to have that conversation with me being, you know, you're on a podcast, so we should say vulnerable at least once. Like I had to tell them like, it's okay to then have the street cred to then when they weren't okay to tell them like, go talk to somebody. Yeah. Because, and I've, one of the, you know, I've never had the suicidal ideation, you know, like, so I couldn't necessarily sympathize with them, but I could empathize with them. Like, yeah, something's not right. Go get help. But because I had gotten help, they were willing to, you know? I, yeah. I think the, the big point there is like, you even said it perfect towards the back end of that is you never had suicidal ideations. And I think a lot of that has to do with because of the fact that your cup wasn't overfilled as long as you thought mm -hmm. and you caught it right away, which yeah. a lot of people don't, right? Like, yeah. that's and, a great way to put it. That, yeah. that, no, it really is. Cause it's like, you know, <laughs> I like to look at it as like, it's, it's a, and, and I hate using the word time sometimes because it, time actually just ends and it's not really a thing. But and when we go ahead and look at it from a perspective of your cup being overfilled, like you did multi, you did five deployments before the first time you ever got blown up. Yeah. You saw a bunch of combat, you saw these things go on and then all of a sudden death got within inches of you. And that there, I believe is, is, is that, is that overfilling yeah. marker that ends up starting to happen where it starts eating you out from the inside out. And I, I call death a sickness is, is what I call it. And it's something that, you know, a lot of us just carry within us already. And it, and again, we take, a, we take advantage of that sickness by letting it eat us from inside the out. And it's one of those things where it's like, maybe we just understand it's there and we just live even more, but to live even more, it's by opening the mind, by able to talk to people and bring that in there. And, and I, I, at the end of the day, man, it's, it's a, it's really heartwarming to be able to sit here and see someone of your stature and the position that you are in, to be completely honest, and be vulnerable and talk about these things and start helping out junior junior, junior officers, junior soldiers, just junior new human beings, right? Because yeah. like I said, right, you went in there with the lens of a professional first. And that's the problem is that's that's it. The problem is that we're always going into this place, especially from an instructor perspective. I was an instructor for four years. You always go in with the mentality of like human or professional first, professional first, professional first. When once we can flip that switch, we open the door. And and we just lost it. Like I told you, like a couple of days ago, it's been a busy week, and I just lost a buddy of ours in the community. Which the dude, gunslinger, right? Marsoc, recon, sniper, you name it. He's done. You he's done it, yeah. and he takes his life. And it's like, what does that ripple effect do to our community? It, it creates a massive, massive hole in the community because you're like, oh my God, someone who is super, who thinks they're super hard, their headspace is there. He's always helping other people. You're like, well, yeah, you're right. But what was he doing? Who was he talking to above that? 
And I think that's the point. And that's something I talked about too, to this day is like, I now need people to talk to, right? Like I know that I can turn to you, like you said, Mark, Michael Keegan, all those guys, I can turn to you if I needed to. I, I now have friends. I got buddies that are really close with me that I can turn to and talk with about that because I chose to open that door. And I think that's something I like to highlight is that it's a choice that you have to make Mm -hmm. and understand that, Hey, if you're not willing to make that choice, there are consequences of that. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of the same thing here. And, you know, the next question that, you know, I, I'm actually super interested in is how has it affected the family now that you've changed or not that you, like, yeah, that's you're changing and you're creating these new, like, obviously you're, you're rebuilding your, your pillars, right? Yeah. How does that, how does that look from a family perspective? Because I'll tell you what, man, that's one of the number one leading problems in a lot of military dudes life is that family support system. And it's the same thing we do, this biopsychosocial approach. You know, not not only is it a psychological and a physiological, but it's also a social support slash environment ecosystem um, perspective as well. So, like, I really would love to dive into a little bit about that, the family and how you Mm -hmm. have really developed a community today for yourself. Yeah. I mean, like the family side, like, you know, got a wife, one kid. you know, and, you know, one thing just to, you know, you're saying we're like where my cup overflowed, you know, like, um, cause you got a ton of listeners, right? Like you got that have been there, done that, all those things like, yeah, it was four deployments later that it finally caught up with me, but it was also kind of a change in life. I think one of the reasons that did overflow my cup is now like, and it's not that I, I love my wife more than anything, but if I were to die, she'd be fine. She's a strong, independent, educated woman. You know, she's, she gets after it, but I can't, even think of like my son growing up without his father. Correct. So like, I almost think like, you know, bam. And then, you know, of course, like once we finally get the green lights ahead outside the wire again, you know, everything's done. You know, we show up to this village where malaria is taken over crazy, right? And they bring us 40 kids. And based on my medic looks, I mean, he's like, yeah, maybe 20 of these will survive. And of course they're the exact same size. Like my son was just over, I left just before his first birthday, came home just after it. Right. So they're kind of the same blobby size as he was at that time. Right. And so now I'm like, wow, my son was, you know, almost without his dad. And now I'm seeing like, so it's kind of like, that's kind of what caused, yeah, that kind of overflow. So like, again, like I would say like to anybody listening that like this might fall under like, yeah, you might've gone through like Anaconda, Fallujah, like you might've done that stuff, but then at a different point in your life, at a different stage in a different moment, you might've had that event that, you know, I think that over as much as I have talked about that, you've nailed it right on the head kind of like it finally just overflowed. It was finally that point, you know, that was there. And, you know, we talk about the mill, you know, before I talk about the kind of the family on mine, like, you know, we had a dude from the other side of the fence come talk to us and his thing that they did within the soft community, I don't believe it was DOD wide or army wide even, but, you know, just in the soft army soft side was like 99 point, not probably not, like 92% of all suicides were right after either, you know, heavy drinking or illicit drug use and a family yep. or significant other fight, right? Yep. And it's like, so when we all like... Are paired know, together. How many times is like a commander, if I got up in front of like, do the safety brief, I'm like, okay, you know, don't do this, don't do that, you know, talk to your buddies, keep, keep an eye out for them or everything. But I've never had like empirical data to be like, hey, check this out. If you notice your friend's drinking a lot and then you see them have a fight with their girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, life partner at this point, like whatever you know, that is like, that's the person you need to latch on to, right? Because at least if that's 92%, at least I can give you a few things. Those other eight, we just need to be good friends and pray that they talk to us before they do anything. But at least like, let's play the statistics on this and try to take care of that, you know, going out there. So like, for me with the family life, what's interesting is like, even though it did cause some like ruffles and did cause everything, um, my wife kind of explained to me like, she had never known that I'd been through all that stuff. Cause she and I met after I basically, when I was in between the infantry and SF, when I was basically on my way to the captain's course and the, um, the Q course. Right. Yep. So we got married and then I started, I got to, you know, Germany and started kind of doing my thing deploying all the way. So she never went through like my first combat, you know, my Iraq and my Afghanistan deployment right off the bat. They were pretty sporty. So she'd never kind of known those things. And then kind of as she saw me start to do my SF thing, now I've got this new armor on that I wouldn't tell her about, right? Because of the missions, because of the sensitivities. So I kind of had to put up that wall with her where I wouldn't talk to her about everything, right? Then I went to this Africa trip and it was a little bit more open, right? A lot of stuff open source, you know, like I doubt many people know we're fighting there, but if you type in Google, right? Like it's there. It pops up. <laughs> so then when she's telling me I need help and then we're with a marriage counselor. So we do like some EMDR, some marriage therapy, some stuff. And like, as I was comfortable with it, I would share her the traumatic events I went through. And now all of a sudden she knows a little bit more. Yeah. Which was really cool. Throw another shout out. At one point, my physical therapist, she said two things. One, Derek has to ski to survive. 
So as much as you can work that into your schedules, no, he shouldn't take risk, but he needs to go backcountry skiing. Like that's where like it does reset his brain, mountain biking in the summer, rock climbing, all those things. Right. So I was like, could kiss her. I was like, come here. Thank you so much. And then the second thing, for those that don't ever want to go to therapy, the second thing that I was absolutely elated, she said, because like, I'm a military guy, right? Give me task condition standards. Tell me yeah, what I got to do. She was like, you cannot get mad at Derek if you don't tell him your expectations. <laughs> and I was like, you know, cause like she grew up in a very close knit family, everything else. I grew up in a military family. So like her family on the birthday, you celebrate the birthday. Cause that's the day on mine. Like dad could have been gone. So like if we celebrate your birthday a month late, it doesn't matter. You still get a birthday this year. Right. So that's like the contrast in our two families. Right. So then she has all these expectations that like one, because I'm not her, I don't know. And two, because we really did grow up on kind of different schemes, if you will. So then the therapist says that to her. So now like anytime she kind of gets upset at me, it was like, just tell me what you want me to do. I can't like, oh, get something like nice for this or tenure is coming up, whatever. Anyone listening, every once in a while, the therapist will throw you a bone. Yeah, you have to work through some stuff. You have to like, you know, be But that's honest, the reward, but, right? Yeah, but the reward is when you have to tell like, babe, I got to go skiing. Or, like, or hey, babe, I need like, to get out today. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, and it's fun too, because she actually, since that time, like she's like, you need to go on a bike ride, don't you? She's like, all right, I'll watch the kid like, go ride because she knows when I come back, it's like, Oh yeah, you're not recovering asshole anymore. Like you're just and stuff. So. so, but that's another point I want to point out there. Cause that's the reason why I dove into the family thing. Cause it's something that I've had to work a lot too with on my end with my, you know, soon to be wife is that, is that transparency piece is, yeah. you know, it's like, Hey baby, if you need Sergeant Briones, tell me, yeah. I can bring Sergeant Briones out, but I've learned to now put Sergeant Briones in the back pocket and pull him out when it's needed. At the same time, I can't read your mind. Yeah. So whatever you're expecting of me, please tell me. And guess what? I will I will meet everything. You need you need extra love, you need extra hugs, you need more kisses. I'll give that to you. You need some time away from the baby, right? To go do your thing. Let me know because you're 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 being you're seeing what I need. You know that sometimes I need to get out to the mountains. Like for example, like we just had a hard week this past week. She's like, hey, babe, go take tonight and tomorrow to go in the mountains by yourself and or get away and go write for a few hours or go and just do your thing because she knows that, one, it makes me better for our relationship. And that's something that, you know, I really want to harp is like you have to understand when it comes from a military perspective and we are dudes like yourselves. And again, if there is trauma there, understand is being as open and communicative as possible with your partner to be transparent and leave those ex expectations out on the table because they meet you now halfway. And what's cool is you share those those trauma that you experience, she has no idea, mm. none whatsoever. And then all of a sudden she hears him and she's like, Oh my God, like you did what yeah. you went, you went through what, you know, and it's like, as I'm, I'm writing a book right now for uh, my last deployment and some stuff I'm doing and I'll let like, let her read some of the things. And she was like, I had no clue. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it, you're right. You know what? And that's 99% of the individuals. And we go back to the whole statistics of when we see suicide happen from the military veteran from a military pers a personnel binge drinking and family problems i can name i can name and i can go ahead and tell you every single one of my buddies who have taken their lives have been because of either drinking and and or family problems or both yeah. and that's the shitty part is like man like your family should be your most loving and supporting thing and if we don't ever pay attention and do that and we say we're warriors mm -hmm. right as a warrior you take care of your family you don't harm it and that's the thing I had to learn how to change was like, no, I need to go ahead and take care of my family, not harm it. And I, again, I'm not coming on from a soapbox perspective, but like that's a piece of the mental health aspect again is you need a support system. And it sounds like, you know, when we go into this, it's like your wife finally is like, and it's not finally, it's just like she is open because she now sees all these other things that you personally and chose not to share. Yeah. Well, and so then like the things that happened after that, like, and this one's, I mean, it's not a combat experience, but it was just cinching out. Like, so went to D.C., the June D.C. with Trump, not the recent yep. D.C. with um, President Biden. And so, like, you know, she was watching the news and she was kind of watching everything going on with that, you know. And, you know, the f full disclosure, like, you want to protest, that's great. You don't agree with what's going on in the country, awesome. Like, are we, helped, things we, we fought for it for you to do so. Yeah. Go have fun. Go send it, right? Like, the second you start, like, destroying things... Or like for us, like because we showed up, right, and like, you know, 200 soldiers, they thought everyone was SF. It was only really like eight Green Berets and like 192 like support dudes, right? Because all the teams were actually out training when the call came down. Like, can you guys yeah. fly to D.C. tonight? But either way, we show up like, you know, all the leaderships, you know, tabbed out. And so we show up and like D.C. National Guard is like, yeah, hey, go ahead and, you know, go straight to Lafayette Park. We're like, okay, cool. That's where we heard like 
that's where it's spicy, right? That's where the, that's where the game's at. Yeah, that's where the game's at <laughs> per se, right? And, and we'll go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, right? Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, your audience, you know, might enjoy Enjoys it. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm not taking political sides either way. Like, you want to protest, but like, at the White House, if you try, like, there's a non-lethal line, and then there's a lethal line. This is, you know, this shouldn't be a shock to anybody that no one's going to let you overrun and destroy the White House. Between what that would do politically to other countries and how they would look at us and how they might take advantage of us to the sheer fact that like, yes, the commander in chief of all of our armed forces is in that building. At some point we can't. So we motivated the soldiers like, hey, let's keep our non, like, cause we didn't have any, you know, stun guns or anything like that, like tasers. That was all like the police force, right? So we just manned the wall, you know, Spartan style with, you know, shields, right? That was it. We're like, don't let them pass us because heaven forbid they get way deep and now they hit that lethal line and that's nothing anybody wants, right? Even if they're really mad, I don't think they want to get shot by, you know, whatever asset might be there. Right. So, but what was interesting about that night, it was, it was the first or the second night. I can't remember, but you know, at one point, like we've got the line, there's a, you know, one of the federal police, whoever they were, had a paintball gun full of pepper balls, right? They had to kill the lights because they had breached the fence. Fuck. Right. So now it gets great because now they're lifting up the bricks and hucking them up over. They've got mortar fireworks. So now dude, I'm in full kit, right? Minus gun, because we didn't we wanted nothing to do with that. Like that was not our job as a National Guard to shoot like Yeah, there's no there was no seek and destroy in this. I was mission. at work on that day and they were like, Do you want to go to DC? And I was like, Absolutely not. I never want to go do our job in our country. I was like, but if you need me to go, I'll go. So they do a meeting of the minds and I happen to be the rank and status to go be the XO for the 05 that was given this thing. And Jesus. he's like, Hey, I need you to go. I was like, All right, let's roll. So go home, grab my stuff, go to DC, right? So anyway, so I'm behind the line. I've got my 31s down because they turned off the lights because, oh, by the way, their night vision is either non-existent or crappy. So now I'm pointing out which blobs are throwing rocks and which ones are just protesting, right? As they're throwing fireworks, as bricks are coming, right? Like all this stuff. And I was like, for a moment, that was kind of surreal. It was like, wait, I'm in the U.S., designating targets for a dude like again it's non-lethal like we weren't but still you're literally designating targets yeah, was, in the u.s on your own country yeah, it was you would never fan on that no i was like this is so like <laughs> obviously i come home my wife's like how was it and i was like and like there were other times where like i'm i'm an sf dude right so i'm gonna take off my patches i'm gonna take off my body armor and i'm just gonna go talk to the protesters right like we needed to bring like these two you know national guard female officers in driving the van that had all of our food and the protesters were like 20 deep. So what do I do? Take off my stuff, go out there like, hey, guys, can I? We're just trying to feed these guys behind here. Like, is there any way like down to earth? And like, so what does she do? She turns up the soldiers that are, this is what you guys should act like, right? Like, why don't you just talk to us whenever you need it? Like, you know, we're being peaceful. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, and then after that, I'm talking to her. I was like, hey, like, you know, I really appreciate you guys getting this message out here. Like, you guys, you know, are, you know, talking and, and waving your flags. Like, that's totally cool. Later that night, so that was the first night, like the mortars and the bricks or second or whatever. The night after that, everything's pretty chill. We're like, okay, this is weird. The lights have been out for, you know, a little while. And everyone's protesting. It's a big crowd. It's a hot DC night. And all of a sudden we see like 12 like built kind of like, ed like clearly organized dudes come from like frame right to left, move into the crowd. And then all of a sudden, bro, like it starts to go off. Right. Damn. And so like, obviously like we're supposed to be unconventional warfare professionals. So what am I doing? I'm writing down my notebook like, oh, look how easily and how quickly these 12 dudes turn this crowd on their necks. You're just reconnaissance, and buddy. And now they're smashing the fences and now they're like, we went from like, we thought it was going to be easy night to same thing right back at it, right? One of the other funny stories I thought was hilarious. So I took a, basically woke up the next morning. I'm watching CNN, right? I'm actually getting my running stuff on. I'll tell you why in a second. And it shows this girl that had like pepper, like pepper balled, like on her face, like down through the neck and stuff. And she's like, I was just like peacefully protesting. She threw a gallon of milk at us, right? You saw that. Oh, yeah. I knew exactly who she was, right? Because like everyone else, like maybe throwing rocks, or whatever, but like a gallon, you got to get point blank. So they had broke the fence and we had like the police up there and we're just putting shields over them so they can try to buckle the fence again. And she just heaves this, you know, gallon of milk for tear gas, right? Because that's what they pour in your eyes to make it feel better which they never gave us in the military. Yeah, oh shit, I like, right? I was, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even really, I was actually talking to someone later. I was like, I don't know if she had a gallon of milk. They were like tear gas. I was like, that's it. I never even thought about yeah, that. I was like, like, wait a minute. What the fuck well, is she doing? I thought when she threw it, it was going to be spoiled too. Cause I thought that's what it was, but it didn't ever smell. And so I was like, that's weird. But anyway, as soon as she throws it, obviously like the federal dudes like just lit her up. Yeah. yeah. Like it's one thing to protest and even come towards the fence, but you start heaving stuff, you're getting a pepper bowl. So then she's on CNN the next morning. I was just peacefully protesting. And I'm like yelling at the TV in my room, right? Like I'm sharing it with my team, sergeant, you know, because the dude I went to Africa with, he and I went to DC together, which was super cool. And again, you guys so, have experience together. Yeah, yeah, which was great because then, you know, you could trust somebody. So um, the other fun thing is 
and again, your audience probably appreciate this, like, yeah, I want to do some close target reconnaissance, right? Downrange, you got to do X, Y, and Z. Maybe get someone else to do it for you. I threw on my running shorts. My hair's kind of long. Yeah, my face is shaved. I have non-Oakley glasses, right? Like I have normal person glasses, right? So I just go on a run down to where like we were going to be on shift within a couple hours, right? And then I crashed on my mountain bike right before I went, so I had some road rash. So I get down there and I'm kind of looking around, going through the crowd, trying to see what kind of spicy events we were in for. And dude's like, oh yeah, was that from the other night? Referring to my arm. I was like, oh yeah, man, when they were throwing nice. everybody down, like it totally. So he's like, yeah. Uh. So like he's dumping a bunch of information on me go to the next group kind of like talking with me and I'm just in running shorts right like I don't look like an army dude so I could totally do my own CTR which was sick and then I went back and briefed like the 05 and the other chalk leaders like hey right here this is what these people look like this is what's going on so we could be a little more prepared going into it right and then we went on shift like an hour or two later so just kind of like well that's the cool part is those like you literally set yourself up to be an asset to your guys and again like was that a dangerous thing for you to do people can go ahead and say yes and no, but realistically you were just going out to set yourself up for success for that next night because you had recognized the past two nights. This, this is what was going on. It's like, are we going to have a third night? Yeah. Just like, cause it in, you're like, it's, it's a surreal thing. It's like pinch myself. Like I'm literally doing intelligent reconnaissance on my own soil that I just got done fighting five deployments with or whatever else. And now I'm doing it on my own soil now. Trip. It, I, I couldn't even fathom that, bro. Like that's that's just like it, it gives me goosebumps because it's one of those things. How many military soft guys or military guys always looking for that that kill on our own soil? Yeah, the conus kill. Right? The conus yeah. kill. Which when realistically, it's like dudes like us. It's like I don't want no part of no, that. No, I didn't join that fight, no. dude. And that's the same thing when this back in Utah last year when we had when we had the symposium in I think March or May it was like yeah, right, it was right as everything was kicking off. Kicking off. Yeah. Well. I was like, I don't ever want to have dynamic warfare on our streets because what that does to us, and it just like, you know what I'm doing? Guess where I'm going? Yeah. The mountains. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go set myself up a a nice hide site and go ahead and do water source. Yeah. Dude. Natural lines of drift. I'm gone. Exactly. And just let everything fall apart on its own. Because again, it's like, that is what's going to keep me alive. Mm -hmm. Me stepping into that war zone like that is not going to. So it's like, it's surreal to be able to even talk about a story of that and being like, wait a minute. So I'm running down. I'm now going to do my own reconnaissance mm-hmm. on the area so I can come back and brief my o- my O's so that my guys now, while they're on there, they can pay attention to the specific groups mm-hmm. that are all within that. And, and, and again, dude, that goes back to experience and exposure in which you come from. Now, my question is, if you wouldn't have been in the headspace that you were in previously before going through everything, would you have been able to handle all that? No, I don't. I don't think so. Because like, again, it's it wasn't combat, but like it was that surreal thought. And I think all your listeners can probably appreciate what you exactly said. Like it really was that, you know, and to come full circle with it. When I came back from that, my wife's like, are you okay?" I was like, yeah, I'm good. She's like, are you okay?" And it did take me unpacking from day one. To day sharing that story yeah, to sharing those stories and everything right and you know and i've been told her like the job side of it right you know because it was like we did this we did this and things happen and again from my like, little insurgency manual i saw them take us from a position of strength and power to one threat one action pulled us out of that because now we got to do something outside and i was like again being unconventional warfare minded i was like that was brilliant they they zero resources small threat of violence and look what it did to our stature our thing right and so i'm telling my wife that she's like you were like i was like well that's kind of how i'm wired like how they motivated this mass popular support base that was just chilling to then do their own you know and i don't bro you know there's like conspiracy theories on who was there really <laughs> yeah the strings like okay i'm sure your listeners there's probably some that know exactly what happened i don't you were just doing your job i was just doing my job but i did learn some things from what a crowd can do against a state scary yeah it was pretty you know it was there but it took that telling like my wife like going through like all those things and you know again it wasn't combat it wasn't near anything but because you say like how it is with my family now with my wife you know i talked to her i told her you know like big i happened to blow my ac joint out last year riding right and like what's my wife's first question like is she really concerned she's like why are you riding so fast? What's going on in your head? You know, cause she could see me chasing the dragon again. And I was like, and then trying to convince her, I was like, no, really, this was like just a dumb, poor line decision. Like this wasn't me. This wasn't, I tried to show this wasn't pictures. me sending yeah. it. This wasn't me sending no, a sniper round no, down range. No, this was like riding with some friends and taking a horrible line. Not because like I was, you know, so blew that thing out. And then of course, like I crash again, like early spring cause I'm stoked to get out. And she's like, do we need to have that conversation again? 
But now it's like that accountability that I used to only have to my team. Now yeah, I also have my wife where I don't think we would have had it, honestly. Never cheat on her, you know, never lie to her, never do any of those things, right? Like I really do feel like she had and I had a great relationship, but because she's the one that told me to get help, I did get help. And now we have like check-ins. Like we were in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, you know, and like my kid, you know, he's almost three. So he was riding on my back. And of course he racks out at some point. And now she and I are in this beautiful place and stuff. And like, you know, great that she's a better communicator than I am. Cause she did like, we did that little inventory, right? Like, mm-hmm. Hey, how are you doing? Like, are you good? Like, she's like, I haven't noticed anything, but like, you know, the lady did say, um, the therapist, I, should, I said, lady, you know, she's like, Hey, sometimes like these things do come back up. It might be something as simple as someone swerving in front of you in traffic. Yep. And now like, triggers, yeah. the triggers could all be there. Um, you know, my most recent trigger was reading, I think it was Jack Carr's like middle. Oh yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's pretty good. This is, okay. Well, you're a military guy, military guy, right? I swore off reading seal novels, like fiction, nonfiction doesn't matter. Right. So then Kyle Lamb, dude on the other side of the fence, <coughs> I had the opportunity to shoot with him quite a bit, you know, and it was just amazing that no matter what we were doing, he shot the same speed. Like running and gunning strong side, like I could try to like, I'd be a few seconds off, maybe a couple points off, but I was like, oh, this dude's from, you know, range 19, like he's not. But then once we started shooting through the glass, you know, like through the gap, light on, light off, green, white, you know, everything, right? Now we're doing a support side. He's doing the same. He never slowed down, right? So like, it was amazing that he was that perfect dude to where it's, you don't do it till you get it right. You do it till you can't get it wrong in every single scenario. So I really appreciated that about him. So I grew a rapport with him right over, you know, he came out and worked with us um, with my unit in Germany and it was great. So then all of a sudden I'm listening to his podcast and he brings Jack Carr and he's talking about Jack Carr's novels, you know, with uh, Reese and everything. And um, he's like, you should, you guys should all read this book. And I was like, okay, it's going against my rule. Not quite. But then someone I, you respect. Someone I respect. Then I talked to Mark Twite and Mark's like, these are really good. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll read them. And, and no joke, like, they are actually really good. Get so, to know. And what's interesting is, although he doesn't divulge the TTPs, he does a great job of, like, you know, the first time, like, you saw, like, a dude actually, like, get shot in the head, and it's like, you see it on the shows, and it's just the red splatter. But then, like, when you get close, yeah, it is the pieces of the brain. brain it's the yeah. piece of the bone. It's all that little sinewy stuff that you never really thought about because it never showed on the movies. I mean, they're rough, but Jack Carr describes that. Describes right? it, yeah. And he does describe like, you know, when you're getting your, you know, every time he picks up a gun, it's a pressure check every time. Like, so I, I appreciated that for all you seals out there. Like he totally, he brought it. the like, detail out. He brought the detail. Here's the one. And why I bring it up here, you say trigger, it brought back a memory. So I'm like halfway through my EMDR. I'm doing audiobook, right? Cause that's long rides, long runs. Like I like to crush, you know, especially if it's fiction where I don't, you know, really need to retain it. He describes like the EFP he built and used against one of the dudes in Switzerland. And I had to pull over, dude. So, you know, we're like bang it or you turn right going down Redwood. Like I'm on that, right? It's a big road. And like he starts describing the pressure, the heat, how it's moving through and everything. And although I got hit by a push charge and that's a cutting charge, it's the same, 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 yeah. same right? I had to pull fuck over, dude. Damn. And just like, because it was right back, just like almost EMDR style where I was like well removed from the situation. So like I got home that day and I was like, Hey, I was listening to this novel and it was described so perfectly that I had to roll over and like, five, you know, or pull over like five minutes. I had to just kind of go through that thing. Right. And then of course I tell the therapist too, cause I'm still going through, you know, and it's like knowing those triggers, knowing those things, you know, like she, my wife and I did watch a movie. I can't remember what it was, but like there was an event, right. Where like, you know, dudes got hit where she remembered like when my soldier went down the event that I told her about and she knew it was really close to it. And so she kind of like pauses the movie and was like, hey, are you okay? So like, again, maybe we're beating this into the bush. For no, 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 no. But it's like, let them in. Like, I know Dude, it's hard, 100%. right? Like, just let them in because they can be that base for you. Again, like we, it's not like we had a bad marriage and this made it, you know, great. But it was like, we did reach another level because we did I was about to say that. Yeah. Totally doing it. And so then like you do, you know, you talk about your systems and everything. Like now, like. I don't have to worry about home. So I'm a better soldier. And then I go back to like, my motivation is not to fill my left and my right. If there's not anything detracting me from that at home, that's a strength. So even if you don't believe anything I'm saying, it's going to help you because now you can focus when you need to focus, you know? Dude. So like bringing it full circle, one, the the big point that I want to show here is the fact that yes, you came back from a, a very traumatic experience that you had to work through, but it allowed for you to go ahead and do your job again. And that's ultimately what everybody wants to do is do their, th- do the job, do the thing. And it's like, you have to understand if you continue eating this, eating this and swallowing whatever it is that you're following, that you're, that you're dealing with it, 
over time, it takes you away from the job. So it's kind of one of those things is like, if you, again, like your PT asks you, it's like, Hey, what is keeping you from doing your job or being able to be capable? That doesn't just come up from a physicality standpoint. It also comes from a psychological perspective as well. And that's probably the biggest thing I want to go ahead and, and, and hammer home here at the end of this podcast is that is, Hey, if you're having a horrible time or you're having a tough time, it is not enabling you to do your job to the max that you need to. And Ultimately, you're now back to the potential you are, right? You're you're having your shoulder. You're taking care of the things. You're still doing the job. You're still able to go and teach young soldiers to do the thing. You're now back in a position to where you're at your potential. And that there, man, gives a lot of people hope and faith, right? And again, that's one of the biggest things that I talked about is like conversations create change. And this is a conversation that I I, I hope really opens the doors from from the idea of like, oh, I'm not okay, right? And if you are struggling, you listen to this, or you know someone that might be, share this podcast with somebody. And and I can't wait to jump down and you and I go jump and talk, go down to the space and there and talk with Mark and Michael because that's going to be a totally different podcast. Yeah. And I'm super excited for it. Dude, I appreciate your time. Yeah, um, if anybody wants to reach you, how do you want to do that? I know... Yeah, I'm still kind of going through stuff, but obviously like through your... Yeah, hit, hit me up, guys. Here, like, I'd love to reach out, you know, like... Um, dude, you hit it. Yeah. I can only like thank for what you put out. Cause the more we get out there, like, you know, I don't think we went full circle. But, like I did go talk to my group commander. He was all on board, wants me to share my story because he does recognize like top, top, like we do have to tell our soldiers, yep. like you could be having a bad day. You might even miss the first part of this workup cause you need to go get through something. That's fine. But you're going to come back to it. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I can't speak for, well, that's not even true. Like Star major of the army, he's put out a bunch of stuff on his social media. Like if I want you to get stronger in the gym or get stronger physically, I tell you, go to the gym. If I want you to get stuff mentally, go get help. So if you are that person, it's like, I can't tell my chain of command, like everything I'm seeing talking with my buddies from other groups. Like, again, I start opening my mouth and find out everyone around me is going through it. Like, I don't know if that's kind of a thing. It's the same thing. No. Yeah. hundred like, percent. You know, talking to this dude, you know, he's like 12 deployments deep, did some range regiment time, did some group time. And like, he's been seeing somebody for like years but he didn't say anything to me until I said something to him. And now we're both like, well, we need to start talking more at a unit kind of deal. Right. So yeah, totally. Let me just keep pounding it into the ground. Like yeah. just go get help. The chain of yeah. command, like, yeah, there's probably some shitty ones out there, but somewhere in that chain, someone's going to support you. Yeah. Tell your, tell your buddies, let it get out there because like they're, they're going to consider me hopeful. Well, not hopefully I've been told I'll be considered for the next level of command, even though I had to go get help. It's not a detractor. Yep. Yep. And even like one of the, you know, he was our, our former, you know, deputy, he was even like, it actually, cause I talked to him about this. He was like, it actually makes you more appealing as a commander. Cause then you can get the message out. And I was yep. like, Oh, like obviously I wouldn't have wanted to go through that for anything, but the fact that, Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I can't tell my soldiers like, Hey, you go, you're remaining an asset. Yeah, for sure. Dude, so, that's yeah, the big part. I'll, I'll try not to run too hard on it, but yeah, man, absolutely. But yeah, anybody that does like want to, the reach out, they have those experience or anything like, yeah, I know you've got your, you know, through softly, you know, you've got yeah. that down. So anything I can do to help. Um, yeah. If anybody wants to talk with Derek, please reach out through me and I'll reach out to him personally. And you guys can, can create a conversation. Cause I guarantee you there's a lot of army cats that do listen to this podcast. And again, I'm super grateful, man, for your time. I appreciate you opening up and sharing this. Cause I know it's not always the easiest and it gives me goosebumps every time I talk about this well, stuff. Let's remember it was you at nonprofit. So really, <laughs> I got to thank you because you kind of got me you know, it, it was someone that looks like me, talks like me, and it's like, it's okay. Yeah. And the, and the fact that you did it with such, no, like there was no selfish part of it. It was just you being genuine. Like for those that listen on the podcast, you know, he's so deep into the fitness and the psychology, but like down to earth, dude, is George sitting right in front of me. So like, <laughs> you know, really your listeners hopefully see what they have in front of you listening to these podcasts. Dude, I appreciate your time, man. And, and you know, I like to do part two. So potentially we might do a part two for this, uh, for this, for this, for sure. All right, guys, if you can need to get a hold of me, you know how to George at softly.com. If you have anything for Matt, you hit him up at Matt at softly.com. If you want to talk with Derek, please reach out to me personally, either through Instagram or my email, and we can get you in contact with him again, guys till next time. Thanks.